Every leader has problems. Increasing your leadership intensity won't fix them in a healthy way. You need an increase of clarity. From starting businesses, leading multiple nonprofit organizations, both large and small, and a full family life, Dr. Chris McAllister learned how to shift his thinking to thrive. He will help you order your internal world so you can lead your external world. Welcome to the Site Shift Lead Podcast with Chris McAllister. So glad you're here. Diving right in, we've got a monster uh, episode today, a, a steak if you will. And I want to cook it right for you, you know, get that uh, sear on each side and um, and get that right temperature, mm, making me hungry thinking about it. Or, or maybe if you're like our family, 80% of the time we're eating vegan because we're paradoxical and uh, contradictory. So maybe it's like a perfect baked tofu scramble, uh, whatever you're feeling. But what I want to break down for you in this episode is a process that's happening all the time that moves a mass group of people to a preferred direction uh, on whatever that leader is wanting to accomplish. Now, the focus of this podcast is about helping you lead from a secure identity. And if you're going to lead from a secure identity, you're going to be a healthy leader. You're also going to learn to recognize the ways that people attempt to lead you in an unhealthy way. And um, here's the thing. For a lot of people, they've never tapped into this reality, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. Fear is the controlling narrative happening around so many different uh, rhythms and parts and pieces of our lives. Uh, Credit report scores, uh, cable news, got to get a college degree or you won't get a job, so you got to get all this debt. Um, We'll talk a lot about some of these as we move forward, but what I want to do is break down a sequence that happens, and this is just from me studying movements. Um, It's from me looking at uh, a resource called The True Believer. I think it was Eric Hoffer, Dwight Eisenhower, I think it was, had his staff read this to understand how different movements were happening around the world. And as I've looked about uh, around at different resources, I've broken it down. I want to show you four movements, four parts and pieces to make robot kingdoms. And when you're secure in who you are, you escape the robot kingdom. You're able to say, no more robots. Uh, So let's jump in. The four pieces are you're stunned, then you're influenced, then mass hysteria kicks in, and then you numb out. So four pieces, stunned, influenced, mass hysterics, and then you numb out. So let's just talk about what it means to be stunned real quick. When you dive into this first piece of what you've got to do to create a robot kingdom, to get everybody uh, to build their identity around the action that uh, an unhealthy leader would want you to take, uh, it happens all the time. So you get stunned, so you'll take an action. My mind goes back to when I was in college and had pledged a fraternity. One of the things that we had to do as we cleaned this cafeteria, and it was nasty and it stunk, we come outside one by one, and they flick a quarter in the trash, all the food trash. It's It's got all of the crap from the meals of that day, uh, multiple trash cans of this stuff, and there's water in there. It's just a hot, greasy, nasty mess. They flick a quarter in there and they tell you you got to dive in and get it. Everybody is surrounding you, staring at you, and you're stunned so that you'll get influenced into this action. And of course, people would uh, dive into it to get 
that quarter and some threw up in it and some threw up when they came out and it was nasty and you smelled that smell for like a month afterward. I don't care how much palm olive you tried to uh, wash your hair in to get all that grease out. It messed with your head because scent is such a powerful smell. It's the same thing as going into the mall. This was something named uh, by a man named Gruen, the Gruen transfer. It was an unintentional phenomenon. He named it. When you would walk into a mall, you would be spatially stunned. So let's say your original plan was to go in and get some socks. But you go in and a mall disorients you. You're spatially stunned. Now you're getting a chicken sandwich and an airbrushed T-shirt. So your original plans are gone. Now when they lay out these uh, massive interior spaces, they're actually doing it in such a way to intentionally disorient you, that angles confuse you so that you can get lost, so to speak. You're stunned spatially, so you'll be influenced to buy more. Uh, Look, I'm not like some weird conspiracy theorist. This is just breaking down what's happening all the time around us. A car salesman. A car salesman is trained to match your language. So they're looking or they're listening for cues that you give them so that they can speak in such a way that you feel seen, known, and heard and understood. Uh, If there is in a retail clothing space a bigger checkout counter so that you could fit more clothes, it's proven you'll buy more clothes. Most casinos don't have windows or clocks. Why? They don't want you to know what time of the day it is. They don't want you to know what's happening outside. They want you to get lost. Interestingly enough, um, Atlantic casinos have been told have some windows to dispel the urge for fresh air since you're at uh, the ocean. Now, let me just pause right here and say this real quick. Influence isn't bad. As leaders, uh, whether we're in startup world and we're, we're trying to get something moving or we are in a corporate environment that has a lot of layers, we need to not be afraid to leverage all of our influence. Uh, we don't need to be afraid to be the most strategic person in the room. It's what we do with the influence that's so key. Are we helping people develop? Are we empowering them? And I want you to think about this uh, a little bit. So you look at massive movements where people have been led astray in huge ways. An easy example to use is Hitler. What's Hitler doing? He's stunning them with the veracity of his ideas and the way that he argues them, uh, the way that he uh, did different staging of military things to to show Germany's might. Uh, one story I remember reading one time where he used like every – uh, airplane light that he had, you know, these massive lights that beam up into the sky for a giant display. And the idea was if they had that many to waste on a display, how much more did they have access to, even though he had used them all for this show of might? And so what does he do? He stuns a group of people and then he influences them and he moves them to mass hysteria, fear, right? and deconstruct every bit of cable news you watch through this, uh, and then gets them to numb out while he commits these atrocities. So, So let me say this. Disorientation is good. It's what you reorient to after that makes the difference. 
So for a lot of leaders, uh, just a lie that they fall into is the leader above me knows best. And this is just hardwired into some of our evolutionary thinking in regards to religion. It's like, oh, they're closer to the divine than me. And so what a lot of people are doing is they're projecting and transferring their fears, their past experiences into this leader. And um, it gives them a way to find some kind of false certainty. I'm just going to trust in this person. And so first thing that we do when we get stunned is we're just believing somebody over us. We're not questioning things like crazy. Uh, The second lie that we fall into that allows us to get stunned is that people are worth what they produce. Um, So we don't see human beings. uh, We see objects and we, we objectify them. And because we objectify them, then we can either blame them for our problems, right? Brene Brown says, uh, you know, what are we afraid of and whose fault is it? Uh, I love that. It's such a narrative that we buy into. This is what was happening in Germany uh, with Hitler. We fall into this lie and we blame them. uh, Or just the way that we interact and relate. I mean, this is a huge deconstruction of corporate culture. Uh, You're only worth what you accomplish today. Um, Now, how do people, and I know a number of the people that I work with, it's, it's in two extremes. It's either the startup culture or layered corporate environments. So maybe this episode could be a shout out of understanding to those of you in la- um, layered corporate environments and a little bit of a survival guide that the leader over you doesn't always know best. And it doesn't mean you have to be aggressive or um, in- in intentionally rebellious in the way that you press against their leadership, but it does mean in your mind you're non-conformist, and you're not allowing yourself to be stunned into just falling into lockstep. And then the way that you treat around people around you, you're not just engaging them uh, based on the reality that they're worth of what they produce. You actually see human beings with real struggles. Uh, one of the huge things that has to happen for our leadership is to separate people's personhood from their performance. And uh, sometimes you've got to say to people, you know, I like you as a person, I like you on the team, but when you do that and it scares the client away, I don't like that. Let's talk about how to stop that and how to replace it with, with better behavior. Uh, sometimes, though, people aren't going to fit on the team, and their repeated behavior uh, means they self-select off the team. But either way, when you understand people are worth more as human beings than just what they produce, you will lead, coach, engage, and help them better. Uh, a third really lie that helps people get stunned into falling into lockstep is to believe that the company is your provider uh, or the organization is your provider. And here's the reality with that. When you think that way, when you wake up thinking that way, it automatically locks your brain into a limitation. And what's much bigger than your company being your provider, it's that you are the provider. You get to go out and figure out different streams of income and different ideas. And so, so for some of you, you're already doing that. For some of you, you're in uh, a, a layered corporate environment, and that seems far off. And it may be five or ten years from now before you start building separate streams of income. But you can't fall into that trap that the company is your only provider. So if you're going to not create a robot kingdom, and if you're going to be healthy in your leadership, you're not trying to stun people into getting them to do what you want. Uh, I'm reading from a psychcentral.com article here on narcissism, and it just talks about the things that they use to stun people, to abuse. Uh, they rage. They gaslight. 
Um, this is from that movie where I forget oh, who was actor and actress in this movie, but the guy kept moving the gaslight and the wife knew it was happening and she's asking about it and he swears it doesn't. And so he starts to get her to doubt her memory, her own mental sanity, what she's perceiving. Um, they stare. So unhealthy leaders don't look at to see you uh, and help you feel seen in a good way. They, they stare you down into submission or they totally pull back. They give you the silent treatment. Um, they, they twist a story. They spin it to always make it about what they can manipulate or they play the victim card. They get you feeling sorry for them. So an unhealthy leader, what they're going to do is stun you with some of these tactics just so that they can get you to be Influenced, move lockstep with them. A healthy leader is a leader who empowers you, right? So, so there are two types of leaders. There are those who want you to conform to the vision they have for you. And there are those who empower you. And you need to know the difference. And an easy way to know the difference, this comes out of Robert Keegan's studies, uh, adult development specialist at Harvard. He's retired now. Uh, In his book that he wrote for the business sector, he talks about how most adults never move from a socialized mind to a self-authoring mind. A socialized mind is where you say, tell me how to believe and behave so I can belong with you to a self-authoring mind where you're not a part of the robot kingdom anymore, where you find and taste freedom. You get to build your identity around uh, what you choose, who you are, and then you choose your beliefs and behaviors out of that. So a healthy leader is going to take you to empowerment. Yeah, they they need you to play team ball. They need you to help accomplish the initiative. They need to get the objective done. But as they go about doing it, they've got an eye to helping you develop. And so think of the kind of leader you are. Think of the kind of leaders that you're surrounded by. Everybody is influencing. Influence is huge. It's going to happen. We're building robot kingdoms if we stun people to influence them. And uh, that's the tactic that's used to to build robot kingdoms. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between um, what it means to be an unhealthy leader, and you just build a robot kingdom who wants to use influence to increase your influence, or a healthy leader who wants to use influence to build others. And and some of you, as I talk through this, you're going to be afraid a little bit to bring influence. No, no, this isn't about being afraid. Again, we're all influencing. If we can recognize this distinguish, uh, these distinguishing characteristics, we can use our influence for good. So an unhealthy leader, here's what they're going to do. They're going to stun you so they can influence you. And as they influence you, they want to focus on staying king of the hill, right? They, they fought for this top spot and they want to keep it. They're focused on results over motive. All they care about is the bottom line. And so they're focused on what's being accomplished, not how you're getting there. And the most important thing you can realize is how you go about doing everything in your life shapes you so much that Actually, it becomes more important than what you're doing. I mean, you didn't wake up this morning and think, am I going to go to work or am I going to rob 7-Eleven? You're different. The choices you aren't making between bad and good. You're making a decision every day between good and great. So you're doing good things. How you go about doing them gets you to the great level. And a healthy leader focuses on 
um, motive over results. An unhealthy one focuses on results over motive. An unhealthy leader will build systems to reward compliance and punish innovation. Because it's not about whether or not you're innovative. It's about whether or not you do what they say. So all kinds of uh, environments will say, oh, we want you to feel empowered and to go make decisions. But the minute you make a mistake, they're not secure enough to let you fall off the bike and skin your knee. They're afraid about how that makes them look over and above to their leadership. And a healthy leader says, no, you can skin your knee. I'm here to help coach and guide. I want to help you ride the bike. So a healthy leader doesn't focus on staying king of the hill. They use their influence to ask others to join them on the top of the hill, right? And they use their influence to get you to think about motive because motive is foundational. How you go about doing things becomes important. It's shaping your brain. It's shaping your responses. It's shaping your mode. It's shaping your mood, all of these things. A healthy leader uses their influence to build systems to reward personal develop personal development and team risk taking. So this isn't about being uh, the most powerful person in the room. A healthy leader they're not afraid of being strategic. They're not afraid of using their influence. They're not afraid of maybe being the most cunning person in the room. But their motives are in check and solid because they're using their influence to build and develop others. So if you want to escape the robot kingdom, what do you do? You think through how you use your influence. Are you using your influence to accomplish the task, or are you focused with an eye towards developing others? Now, people that are building robot kingdoms, they're going to stun you so they can influence you. And once they influence you, and this is how uh, this whole thing breaks down into a movement, they get you uh, moving as a mass in group with other people, afraid. So again, I want to break this down for you so it's real clear. If, if you want to see how robot kingdoms are built, people get you stunned so they can influence you and move into mass hysterics. So let's break this down how this works. Uh, simple examples. It's the Betty Crocker cake mix. So it had the egg in it and it wasn't selling. They take the egg out. So now a mother has to add the egg. She feels like she's doing something and sales took off. What happens? They removed the obstacle of guilt and shame. Um, The Axe body spray. So I'm going to spray this on and it's going to handle the awkwardness and guilt shame that I feel in this pre-adolescent space. So so one unblocks it, one covers it up. Uh, Grand Theft Auto. I am a young suburban teen. I feel like life is pretty mundane, even if I can't put it to those words. And my parents' problems matter more than my problems. And I want to find a space where I fit, where what I do matters. Right. So all of these little things add up to move people in big ways. Uh, labeling. Labeling is a huge part of moving uh, masses of people into certain things. I don't know if you know how this works, but uh, if you understand psychiatry, they have a massive uh, psychiatric Bible, if you will, uh, the DSM. It's this massive booklet that's put out, and when it's published, it's full of labels, and it's changing, right? Because it's not a perfect science. It's not like we can look at this, uh, the human psyche, and break it down at a molecular level. Instead, it's 
it's people's best guesses. And somebody's coming up with these things. And, and I think it's helpful and it can move the conversation forward. It can also confuse and get people stuck in labels. So one of the things that I remember reading was going to go into 2013 uh, edition. I haven't even checked if it did. was Disruptive Mood Dysregulation Disorder, DMDD. And so here's how it read. Kids will be deemed uh, DMDD if they show severe recurrent temper outbursts that are grossly out of proportion and intensity or duration to the situation at least three times a week. Do you know any kids like that? If you don't, you don't know any kids, I would say, probably. Uh, what it, would it look like for a parent to read that and, and to be stunned, influenced, mass hysteria, go, oh, my kid has DMDD. I got to get this treated. Or, or maybe they need to learn self-control. I don't know. Every situation is different. Some need help. Get help if you think that you need it. But what I am telling you to do is to peel back the layers here. Look underneath what's happening. Just because the memo says it's this way doesn't mean you have to think it's this way. Uh, just because this was proclaimed to you on the news, it doesn't mean it actually happened. I uh, loved Nicholas Talib in The Black Swan where he pointed that out and how you know Saddam Hussein captured, market goes down. Saddam Hussein uh, to stand trial, market goes up. All this false causation that happens. Here is the reality of why branding exists. And um, I think it was Douglas Rushkoff that talked about this in one of his books. Um, I love the way that he phrases things, you know, code or be coded, program or be programmed. Um, This isn't about being weird, conspiracy theorists. This is about just setting your mind free. And so he talks about this reality of branding, that branding exists to create Uh, the perception of a relationship that isn't there. So you go down the street to buy oats from your oat guy. And then as, because you do that, right? No, this is colonial times. But as the relation, or as history moves forward and consolidation occurs, you're not going down the street to buy oats from the same guy, but you need to feel like that. So Quaker Oats develops this imagery that makes you feel like you're still going down the street. The name, the imagery, everything, the brand makes you feel like a relationship is there even though it isn't. Your brain wants a narrative. And the smartest people that have the most influence on society give you the narrative that you need. And we'll talk about what the narrative accomplishes in just a second when it's, um, when it's building a robot kingdom. The man who designed World War II housing, uh, he said something like, you can't own a lot, a housing lot, and be a communist. You'll have too much to do. So one of the things that he worked on was as these guys came back from the war, it's hard to turn a warrior into a farmer um, because your brain gets wired for war, PTSD, and all that comes with that. So one of the things that was developed was this idea that everybody needs to own a home. And when you own a home, you have so much to do, you won't be able to be distracted and be a, a communist, as he said. And anybody that owns a home out there, you know how much work, endless list of always things you can do. i my neighbors would be really happy if my yard got mowed right now. Uh, it is longer than theirs, and um, I don't. I just don't have time to do it right now. And it is what it is. So what I want to do is help you 
be free of the robot kingdom. What does it mean to be free of the robot kingdom? You see where the fear narrative stuns you to influence you to move the masses into a certain direction. Uh, This is why websites use psychographic typing, so that when you go there, they're positioning the text and the copy in such a way to trigger certain responses. And the people that can see all this for what it's worth, that actually learn how to have a secure identity, apart from the stunning influence of any leader, almost become mystical. I love Josh Waitzkin in The Art of Learning, the way that he talks about what a mystic is. A mystic just sees things in a slower time frame than others, so they're able to respond in such a way that their actions seem mystical. They're just more aware. That's why I'm talking about awareness all the time. You know, the mystic laughs when others panic. They'll go where others won't. They'll see, feel, and hear things what others don't. And we want to escape the robot kingdom. So we don't want to build the robot kingdom, and we want to escape the robot kingdom as we look at our reality and say, I won't fall into the trap of the fear narrative. Now, if you're a part of the trap of the fear narrative, what happens is a leader stuns you to influence you, which builds mass hysterics, and this is the last piece of what it takes to have a robot kingdom, then you numb out. So the mass hysterics have to numb out so that the action can keep building. I remember reading accounts of uh, in, in Hitler's Germany where Protestant Christians would be in a church and they would hear the trains going by that they knew had Jewish people on them and they would sing louder to drown it out. I can't remember where I read that now. But you talk about using something to numb out. Anything can be used. Anything can be used to numb you out from reality. So what do you do? How do you escape this? Because we want to get to the point that we have a real courage to break out of the robot kingdoms and not build robot kingdoms for others. How do we get that courage? We know an abundance in our identity where other people are trying to trigger us with scarcity. Uh, We learn that everything is a false threat to our identity. Everything, right? If you're just diving into this podcast, go back and listen to the first 12 episodes because I walk you through a sequence to understand that. Well, what happens then you get you get clarity in what you do because there's there's a peaceful feeling. Uh, the Eagles track is now playing in my head. There's a peaceful feeling that allows you to not be unnecessarily stunned and influenced by unhealthy leaders. And then you have compassion for others. You see the, the oppression of the robot kingdom, and you want to help them get free of that. It's Pearl Jam's Given to Fly song. I love that song. Um, you've got the keys, and you want to help others get free. Go check out the lyrics to that. You've, if you've heard it, I, I love new music too. There's a lot of new artists I love, but I'm still stuck in 90s alternative rock that came out in high school. Freed. 80s from the hair bands. Thank you. Oh, love that stuff. Um, I digress. So how do we recognize when we've gone into this fourth piece of the robot kingdoms? We've moved from stunned to influenced to the mass hysterics to being numbed out. We allow ourselves to live lies. Uh, one of the ways is our influence, or excuse me, our affluence, what we possess. We can eat and spend our way 
into staying numb past our pain and past the pain of others. We'll make future plans to distract us from any present pain. We'll believe the next purchase will make me happy. Look, here's the thing. You've got to feel that pain because pain means you're alive. Pain is a gap and it shows the pain shows the gap between what is your current reality and what your future reality could be. Uh, I think sometimes our political power allows us to dismiss the marginalized as weird and unambitious. It's their fault they're that way. So we stay numb. Uh, Self-help content hypes us up so that we miss the reality of internal despair and we miss the opportunity to actually experience a new identity. So how do we wake up? How do we wake up out of our numbness? It's not going to happen through managing our time better or managing our money better or trying to put some uh, superficial Band-Aid on the situation. We're not going to relieve it, uh, this numbness, by just doing something nice for somebody just so that we can relieve our uh, affluent guilt. We're not going to be able to hype our way to hope. This is why I think the zombie narrative is so powerful. For today, uh, the college classes I used to teach, they were coming in talking about this show. And uh, I remember the first time I watched an episode of The Walking Dead. I'm just captivated by this storyline. And I think a zombie narrative fits with today's reality because um, we are totally numbed out. I had a college professor, a religious professor I was actually talking to, and he was making this point. He just said, we need somebody to breathe life into us. So, so what do we do? This sadness between where you are and where you want to be, between what you see that pisses you off and what you want to make better, wakes you up. The tears, the grief, the rage, endings are real, they happen. The pain in the present can make the future exciting because you see uh, what has to change. So passion breaks through the numbness. So here's the thing. Let's bring it all down. My hope is that you recognize any robot kingdom you're a part of. If you're in corporate culture, you see it and you can play the game intelligently and cunningly, but not lose yourself in it. Uh, If you're building something, if you're leading a team, or if you're starting something, if you're starting a new company, that you not contribute to robot kingdoms, but you actually dismantle robot kingdoms, that you don't just stun people to influence them, to create mass hysteria and get them to numb out, but you break that cycle how? By empowering others. You get empowered. You learn about your own path for development. Go back and listen to the first 12 episodes for that, and then you empower others. So bringing it down, two clear actions. Number one, do not settle. Don't settle for anything less than growing and being empowered. You're either growing every day and becoming a better person or leader or becoming a worse one. And that as you grow, secondly, you build kingdoms that empower others, not robot kingdoms. And as you have influence around you, you use that influence to dismantle robot kingdoms, even subversively, step by step, by 
empowering others and helping them learn who they are and lead well. And if you want help with that, uh, you know, spend a ton of time and energy in those first 12 episodes to, to do that and help you do that for others. So thanks for listening. This is a crazy like manifesto. I feel kind of wild eyed with today's episode. And I had a ton of stories I thought I would tell, but I just kind of got into it. And uh, may you be free of the robot kingdoms to not be stunned, influenced into mass hysteria and numb out. Peace. This has been The Sight Shift, lead podcast with Chris McAllister. Thank you for listening.